0: Thinking back to my first marriage, you know, twenty something years ago, I had no clue. I was completely running off of scripts. I was completely running off of wounding, and any time that any upset would happen, if she would get upset about something, I had zero capacity to be with that. I would immediately feel blamed. I would immediately feel like I did something wrong, and then rather than feel that shame, be with that. I rebelled against that, and I went into non-responsibility. I went into blaming and shaming her, and of course, we know that doesn't go anywhere. And then you're just in this poisonous loop.
1: Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. Do you really know yourself? Do you struggle to be genuinely vulnerable with others? And do you understand the connection between self-awareness and life mastery and love mastery? Well, in this episode, my guest Zat Baraka and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Zat is actually a dear friend of mine. I first met him about nine years ago in Los Angeles before he was a renowned men's coach. It's been fascinating to see behind the scenes of his journey from being a man already engaged in a decades long Buddhist spiritual practice to a renowned teacher and coach helping men in particular get out of our heads and live more fully connected to our own bodies, our emotions, so that we may live more connected to other men, to our friends and families, to our partners, into to our own lives. In fact, that's what I most admire and appreciate about Zot, and about our friendship, is that no matter what's coming up between us, and we've had a few pretty intense moments of disagreement where I'll be so bold as to say that less wise men would have either killed each other or simply never spoken again. But no matter what it is, Zot and I were always able to own our own emotions, our own stories, or as we often might say, our own shit, before trying to resolve the details of the conflict. And that mutual capacity has allowed our friendship, our respect and love for each other to consistently deepen. Zot models this practice beautifully, which in my experience is essential for any relationship, intimate or otherwise, to truly thrive. In this episode, Zot and I explore what it really means to know yourself in tangible, practical ways that actually make life and love better in most every way. Definitely stay tuned for Zot's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Zot Baraka, what's up, my friend? What's happening? Good to have you on Men This Way. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling
0: fear in my chest hmm. and um, yeah, excitement.
1: In yeah. My gut. I feel that. I'm. I'm also feeling. Whew, I feel a lot of energy in my chest and uh, some nervousness in my belly and um, excitement and uh, wow! Even I can feel a little tingling in my face. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny because I think I feel
0: the most comfortable coming on with you. <laughs> right, with some other stranger, but uh, yeah. For some reason, I have a, a nervous energy. Yeah. Good wanting to fulfill my expectations of you mm-hmm. your expectations mm-hmm. of me being a man
1: yeah well thank you for that I really appreciate that man it's one of the things that I value so much about our friendship and over the years that that I've gotten to know you and um we've taught other men together we've we've hosted we hosted that epic men's retreat together and man mm-hmm. you know we ran into some shit you and i and and mm-hmm. what I so value is you know, and you really lead the way beautifully in this, is your capacity to 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 recognize what's happening in your body, in your emotions, in your experience. And you know, I generally want to start off with an icebreaker, just kind of ease our way in. But you know, I mean, we're diving right in because, I, um, <laughs> Yeah, why not? Why do we do this? Like, why is this important? Why does this matter that we men? You know, we you and I just started off with kind of a how are you feeling. And you answered with what you were fucking feeling, not what you were thinking, <laughs> <laughs> which is what most of us do. What we're yeah, thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Why does that matter? Let's just start, man. Why does that matter?
0: Hmm. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Why are you asking
0: me? <laughs> okay, fair enough. That's a joke. I uh, saw that I a friend of mine did that on a podcast recently. Uh-huh. I want to try it.
1: Why does it matter the work? This work that we're doing. Well, specifically this little practice you and I just did, Mm. what am I actually feeling? We start a lot of men's work that way, right? A lot of men's meetings, men's groups, we start with a check-in. What are we feeling? Why is that important?
0: Yeah. um, If you don't have intimacy with yourself, then you're going to pretty much suck in intimacy other places. And um, not being real and honest... And um, having some intimate relationship with yourself, which even just saying those words, I feel uncomfortable. There's a part of me that feels uncomfortable mm. saying, I'm going to be intimate with myself. Mm. You know, there's those programs that are there for men around intimacies. So yeah, I can give you kind of a more expanded, you know, psychology or spiritual explanation, but on the most simplistic level, being able to feel ourselves and have some emotional intelligence around what's going on inside of our body. If you don't have that, then you got nothing. You don't have any sort of foundation for interacting with other, other humans. I mean, relational intimacy is based on your own intimacy with yourself. And if you're devoid or if you're numb or if you're checked out or if you're unaware of what's going on inside of you, how can you do what everyone says they want to do, right? Which is, I just want to be my authentic self, right? You hear that over and over. right? How can you be authentic if you don't know what the hell is going on inside yeah. of you?
1: you know i 'll say, man, I think that that practice has even saved and deepened our relationship you and me because mm-hmm. we 've had a few of those moments working together we 're both strong personalities we 're very rooted in our center and and we 've i mean like any friendship, any relationship will run into moments where you 're in deep disagreement or something is happening that 's uncomfortable and i'll never forget I think one time when we were working on the the mens retreat in the beginning and, and i i don 't know maybe i didn 't do something that I was supposed to do or something like that i can 't remember exactly what it was, but we were on the phone, and you know I could feel that part of me starting to get defensive at the disconnect between us and and mm. you what know, felt like accusations or whatever it was and then and then you just said, you know i 'm feeling a lot of rage right now, hm." Mm. And you just owning, just saying, I'm feeling a lot of rage right now without telling a story about it, without further pushing your point or trying to get me to do something or admit something or acknowledge something or give you something, but just saying, I'm feeling a lot of rage right now. Yeah. That really enabled me to pause and just go, okay, all right, man, rage is here. I got it. Yep. Okay. And we got to just be real with each other. And that opened up a whole new, in that moment, new conversation. Hmm. yeah that
0: takes some practice doesn't it, it Takes some time absolutely yeah to get it to does. that place it does. and it's damn liberating you know and um you know in my work with men it takes this it's a practice you know i have to do it over and over with guys so they finally can just come because they always have to qualify right well i'm feeling fair because the check didn't come in on time like i don't care Right. <laughs> just what the hell is what? What are you feeling in this moment? So no, yeah. no preambles, no postambles. That's right. Uh, no qualifiers. Not even quantifiers. Yeah. I don't need to know how much, because you know how guys will say, yeah, "I'm feeling a little," you know, just a
1: little, little. nervousness. Yeah. That's funny. I was actually having a conversation with my lady last night, and something came up, and kind of a jealousy provoking situation, and you know, me me being jealous and. She's like, oh, well, what are you feeling? And I was like, well, I'm having a tiny feeling right now. <laughs> a micro feeling. I mean, it's not a yeah. huge thing. And she just looked, she gave me that look like, get the fuck out of here. What are you feeling? Like, just, I want to know what you're feeling. I don't care how big or small. So yeah, I can, it's, that's it's funny. A, It is funny. So, well, let me ask you uh, well, first off, man, you're a new daddy again. How old is Ocean now? Oh,
0: actually he's, yeah, he's going to be, uh, he'll be three in about, uh, two months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How's he doing? He is amazing. He's like just every day, every day, you know, is such an exciting thing for a little kid, right? There's so much to learn, so much to explore. And then as a parent, you get to revel in that, uh, their exploration of life. And it's so amazing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he still says so many things that are so cute. Like we might be a little bit part of, you know, part of perpetuating this, but like the way he says dump truck, and mm-hmm. we never prompted this. Mm-hmm. What he calls a dump truck is dump Trump. <laughs> he calls it a dump Trump and no lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. It is funny. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. He's a joy. He's a, he's a joy in my life. And, um, it's so great being able to be a father. at uh, you know, my other son who's 26. And so getting to do it with a little bit more wisdom, a few more gray hairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, definitely.
1: Yeah. What are you experiencing different this time? I mean, it's 23 years difference in your own growth as a man between your first son and this, an ocean. I'm just less of an idiot, you know? Okay. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> How so? Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you, what's different? I'm just less of
0: an idiot as, as I was then. Um, you know, I was on the path, quote unquote, 26 years ago, but but you know, I, I didn't have a clue. I mean, I was really a kid, mm-hmm. and um, understanding about you know my own intimacy with self, understanding how I feel, being able to check in, in with myself, mm-hmm. understanding about taking responsibility for how I am in the moment, not blaming mm-hmm. the kid for being. Needy or being whiny, or being and understanding a little bit about how to not understanding, but I think one of the biggest things is that i 've learned and that i 'm doing with with ocean as a father is learning to be with his upset without making him wrong mm-hmm. that 's the biggest thing, and when he gets upset about something and in no way trying to squash that i 'm mm-hmm. not saying i 'm perfect in it, but that is really that 's the goal as a father, as a conscious father. If he's having emotion, not telling him to stop it, or that's not acceptable, or we don't act that way, or you don't have anything to cry about. Why are you crying? Why are you whining? This is not a big deal. Just letting him have his own experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, how liberating is that? I, I was not taught that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so helping him to feel like an autonomous being,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like that he, he is an autonomous sovereign being, like he can feel if he feels, you're allowed to feel. Yeah. Now, if we're in a public place and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, you know, we can have a conversation about about how that may be affecting other people, but it's not done in a shaming way where, like, you shouldn't be acting like that. That's not acceptable. So that's a really big one is letting him feel how he wants to feel. And then also just being aware of what I'm, what kind of concepts I'm putting on him, how he should be, how life should be, what he's supposed to be doing, just programming him. I mean, he's going to get enough through my. Through my DNA, mm. and you know mm-hmm. we take on our, our parents,, yeah. you know, we take it on, and uh, but as much effort as I could put into being conscious of what i 'm putting on him and my reactions and him, you know he watches me, he watches how I chew and how I act, and he models that back, mm-hmm. so he sees how I interact with other people,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he sees how I deal with my own anger and frustration about anything.
1: As you're raising him and he's now, he said he's he's almost three years old. And I imagine a part of you is brought back to your own childhood and and watching him. And, and, you know, my, my parents split when I was four years old and I don't have a child yet, but I saw, I actually, uh, Sylvia and I went bowling a few weeks ago and there was a, next to us, there was a family and there was a four-year-old boy. We asked, how old is your son? He was four. And I was thinking, wow. Man, that's what I was when this massive moment happened in my life that marked me in so many ways forever. What are you present to? You know, what happened to you? Like, maybe I'll ask it this way. You know, tell us about a, a significant event or experience in your early life that played a really fundamental role and in shaping so, you as a man. So I'll
0: answer that. Um, I was out to dinner with some friends a few nights ago and we were talking about birth. And this is something that I've known as far back as my mom told me this many years ago. But the way I was birthed was my mom was having contractions. She went into the hospital. My dad hadn't arrived there yet. And they put her on a hospital bed. And this is what they used to do. I think it was called scopamine or something like that. Mm -hmm. But she laid down and they gave her an IV and they basically, they sedated her. Mm -hmm. They didn't even tell her. They sedated her. This is what they used to do. And she woke up, however much longer later, and I was born. I was sitting in the, in the little baby thing
1: wow. next to the hospital. She wasn't there. even really consciously present for the night. No,
0: she wasn't awake. No, they, they didn't tell her. Wow. I think this was a standard practice as a way for you know wow. them to not have to deal with whatever. But at dinner, I had this awareness. And I thought about it before, but it never really landed because I had said something out loud, and that's when Alana and I said, You know, when a child's born and the parent looks in their eyes, there's an imprint, right? There's an imprinting that happens, and then oxytocin is released, and that's the bonding hormone, right? And so then you bond with your child. And that's why, like, when my son was born, he was born at home after he was with mama, then he laid on my chest, and I imprinted with him, and I, he felt my heartbeat and he heard my voice. And so I didn't have that imprint with my mom because she was unconscious. And I just had this big embodied feeling of, whoa, that's really intense to think about. And I can think about how my relationship with my mom is so much of it's formed from that. So Mm -hmm. that's a way, way early on answer to your question. But um, how you were birthed into the world, most guys, probably don't think about that. But people who are into, I guess it's called prenatal psychology or natal psychology, child psychology, Mm -hmm. they know that how you were birthed is a big thing. Yeah. And there's this woman named Robin Lim, who's a very famous midwife. Her whole thing is around having gentle birth, mm-hmm. which is what we gave Ocean. He was born in our room, the dark curtains, there was very soft music, and there was no loud noises. He was birthed into the world in a really gentle way. You can, you know, you're coming into a new world.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, who knows when I was born, if the, if the doctor slapped me, you know, as they used to do, right? They slapped me, <laughs> uh-huh.
1: they cry. Yeah. Yeah
0: so that's something i've yeah. had recently that I have an awareness about
1: um, yeah I, I'm curious how do you think that then that's because I think what you're saying is really, really profound and I, I heard David Davis say this once too, and you you and I both studied his work say how you know so many of us we weren't born or conceived in a moment of this beautiful blissful love making moment where our parents looked into each other 's eyes and made love and consummated their marriage in this holy no, so many of us were born of just a, you know, if not a drunken or just disconnected, fumbly, you know, pump, pump, squirt kind of experience, you know, yeah. we're lucky if our parents liked each other, Never mind, loved each other. And that's, you know, I, I think there's really something profound to that. And what we all carry in our bodies as feeling like we don't belong or we're not worthy or we're not loved. Yeah. So reflecting on that, that your mother wasn't even present consciously present for your birth in those early moments. How do you think then that has shaped your challenges as an adult man? Mm. How has that shown up for you and what you've had to work through?
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing that's coming to the mind is the work of Harville Hendricks and getting the love you want, Mm -hmm. getting the love you need and Imago. If you guys are familiar with Imago, it's the idea of the relationship that you're in now is an image or the Imago of your unfinished sort of stuff with your parents. Mm. And so we're all born to the world and we all have these circumstances that happen to us in our, in our childhood with our family. And we all have these needs that were not met. And so then then we go through the rest of our life having this sort of foundation of our nervous system, like maybe your father was absent, your father worked all the time and you didn't see him, he came home late and all you really wanted from him, you, the need that you have was for him to be present in your life. And so now you're a man and your father, you never had that need met, or maybe with your mother, it could be the same thing, but... You have an unmet need around someone being really present, or you have an unmet need around affection. You have an unmet need around the need to feel safe. And that's kind of the home base of your nervous system. That's where you go to over and over. And those are your triggers, especially in relationship, right? In the relationship, it's the biggest mirror of where your issues come up. And so when you're unaware of the, the needs that weren't met and you're constantly seeking those in your relationship, when you don't have an awareness of those, then where do we usually go? We usually go into blame. We blame the relationship. We blame the other. We find the circumstances in, a, in your relationship. We can say, well, look, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. And you're not meeting these, you know, these needs of mine. Rather than you know, seeing inside of yourself where you're unfulfilled in, your, in yourself in general because those unmet needs show up everywhere in your life. So if you're someone who doesn't feel valued because every time as a kid you were told to shut up or you know don't talk, you know unless you're spoken to, you're going to experience that in all areas of your life when you're older. Mm. And the funny part about it is is even when your partner fills those needs, you often will feel a deficit in those things. Mm. Like I had the experience once of this need for affection from my partner. And I came home, I think she rubbed my shoulders for a minute. And then later, you know, a couple hours later, I just had some kind of neediness arise in me. And I went to my my go-to need and was like, Oh, you're not affectionate enough. And so I started a little argument with her and she's like, Well, you know, when you came home, I rubbed your shoulders and it wasn't it didn't even register with me. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm getting a little bit deep into the psychology, but it's a really powerful thing to see that when you come up you know against roadblocks or when you come up into obstacles in your relationship usually so much of it is based in a need not being met so if you can recognize in yourself where am i feeling deficient right now where am i feeling a need isn't being fulfilled when you have that awareness then you can see oh yeah well i'm reacting this way or i'm being shut down or i'm being you know edgy with my i'm being rude to my partner right now or i'm being disconnected right now and That's where the work comes in. And through practicing over and over, being able to see these things, you can practice. You know, the first rule of conscious relationship is taking responsibility for your own upset.
1: Yeah. uh, An interview I did with another man for this podcast, Joshua Hathaway, he labeled it as radical responsibility. Mm -hmm. Radical ownership, actually. That's what he said. Radical ownership. Taking radical ownership of what's happening for you. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I want to stay here for a minute because I think this is really important. Why does that matter? Because this is one of the things that we, and when I say we, I mean I as well throughout my life, but this is one of the things that we men, women too, in their own way, we run into this wall of, okay, yeah, but, sure, but. You, she, he, whatever—you're doing this, and I'm sure of it. Here are the facts, right? We we fall on the facts, and the facts say that you're <laughs> you're the idiot. You're the one that's not seeing things. Why does taking radical responsibility or ownership, like, why does that matter? I mean, wh- why should we do that?
0: I mean, what's the alternative? The alternative is just running off of your program scripts and conditioning, and not running off of your wounds. I mean, look, this is an uncomfortable place to go. But if you don't, it shows up everywhere. I mean, the saying that we hear over and over, and it's such a cliche, at least in my world, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. So if you're not aware of the ways that you see the world, your underlying beliefs about the world, then it affects how you respond, how you speak, you know, how you interact with all people. And it matters because when you're just living off of scripts, when you're living off of conditioning based on, uh, you know, your your wounds and your unmet needs as a child, you can never really feel at ease within yourself because you're wearing these glasses, these filters of how you see the world. And you're really, then you're living in in, in a victim stance. Mm -hmm. You're living as a victim. So taking radical responsibility, taking radical ownership for, you know, how you see the world and how you respond to the world really, it just feels more empowering. You feel like you're able to access your own and increase your capacity to be with intensity in life. Mm-hmm. If you don't take responsibility for that, then you're really, you're really a victim to life and you're always responding to life through resistance and closure.
1: Yeah. I like resistance and closure. I had this experience last year when I was in Ireland on my kind of my annual solo retreat. And I had this moment where I was hiking in these gorgeous, but very stark hills. And when I say stark, I mean, they're covered in limestone, these mountains. It's sort of like an exoskeleton. It's called the burn. It's one of my favorite places on the planet. And I was walking in these hills and, you know, and my partner, Sylvie, she was thousands of miles away on the West coast of the Mm. U S and and even our dog, we'd sent our dog to Maryland for the summer. So like my family was, I'd scattered my immediate loved ones. Like I just gotten as far away as I could. Not, I, I just needed my time, you know, but I was out there in these hills and I, it occurred to me, you know, this whole idea of running for the hills when things get tough or like you just said, resistance and closure, you know, we resist, we close Shut down, run away. Even if we stay in the room, we run, we run away from from the intensity of whether it's a woman or a conversation <laughs> or, or another man for that matter, like you and I have experienced. And I was sitting there in, in these hills thinking, well, here I am. I'm in the hills that I run away to when I run from intensity. And okay, you know, I was like kind of bobbing my head up and down, like, yeah. Here I am. This is what it looks like. Okay, it's great for a minute, but pretty fucking lonely out here. Ain't nothing yeah. going on.
0: Yeah, I've done that too. <laughs> I, you know, but I've run inside myself. You know, into my own closure and shutdown. And look, we all have different ways that we respond to that, right? Like yeah. the kind of the classic nice guy syndrome. How does he respond to that? He over caretakes. Right, right. He seeks to make others others feel comfortable as a way to to take attention off of him or off of his own needs and desires, which is another way that men repress Mm -hmm. what they're feeling is to repress. I just got off the phone with a client who has that whole patterning of that nice guy patterning, you know, the pacifier, and Mm -hmm. he's not owned his own desire, what he wants for himself in his life. He's just never done that, and so it's a really challenging thing just to come into a feeling state, a moment of feeling, what do I really desire? And, you know, taking a moment of ownership of that.
1: Yeah. I
0: know I kind of, yeah, that's
1: powerful. I segwayed off. Of- no, no, it's, it's powerful. Well, I, want, I want to ask you about working with men. You've been working with men for many years now. And I've, I've been really, you know, it's been amazing to witness your own evolution in that journey. And I know it's been challenging and I've resisted, working with men, Mm -hmm. you know, my military background, my, my own daddy issues, you know, all my stuff and the challenges that I've had to work through in in my own relationship to masculine energy and manhood and all of that. And I'm, Mm i gonna ask you two questions about working with men. Number one, what's the best part about working with men for you? What do you enjoy the most? What's the most satisfying? Mm
0: -hmm. Just seeing men having a moment of freedom, uh, from their armoring, You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's when I reflect back on the beginning of my own internal work. It's like, oh my God, I can take all this energy that I've been putting into armoring and to protecting, I can just stop doing that. Mm -hmm. Just having a moment of, of, to breathe and just be gentle with myself rather than always being in protection mode and trying to look good and trying to manipulate life so that it you know is the way that I want mm-hmm. and from having to protect myself from feeling you know sad or fear yeah. the protection the energy it takes to constantly be in protection mode from that just to have a moment to just relax that is so liberating to see mm-hmm. men experience that like I did and like I still do is really beautiful. And, and the world demands that now. I mean, this has to happen. It has to increase. And, and it is, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of getting into a little bit of the why that I do the work, but this is one of the, the, the best parts about it is because it is affecting like the work I've done on myself has allowed me to parent my son in a better way than I did my now adult son. And um, seeing other men having that liberation is, is pretty amazing. And being part of this change is happening in the world yeah. right now, both of us and all the men that you talk to yeah. is pretty amazing. It's uh, this is an
1: intense time. Well, I think, and I want to speak to something really important here too. I think, you know, as I reflect again on our friendship, I think if, if you and I didn't have the capacity to really own our shit and feel what was going on for ourselves and communicate from that place. I don't think we'd be as good of friends as we are. And I think the you and I are different people. We've grown up in different cultures. We have different experiences. And being able to stay connected with each other and even be counsel for each other, not despite, but even thanks to our differences, I, you know, I'll just speak for myself. It makes my life richer knowing that I have, I think that's one of the challenges that we're faced with, especially in politics today we men are so at odds with each other over ideas, over the facts. We don't agree on the facts. And what you just spoke to, the why, why you're doing it and why it's necessary, I think um, I think you and I are an example of that. I mean, we're not obviously so politically opposed to each other, but just as men, man, we're strong fucking men. And, and you know, we've had those moments. And I think this ability to, oh, Just feel what we're feeling and be in that kind of liberated, don't have to do anything about it. We can just be with this.
0: Yeah. I mean, the competitiveness, the, I mean, how many men have you heard say,
1: it's really hard for me to open up to another man? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Or help another man, really support another man. You know, what, what might that take away from me? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not that men will ever admit that, but I've I've seen that in my own programming, in my own mind. I mean, look, we
0: can get into evolutionary biology and look at how how we're programmed as sure. biological beings, and sure. and you know how we're built to survive. But we don't need any of those mechanisms anymore. We don't need to when we see another man winning. When we see another man being successful or driving a nice car, we don't need to diminish them. There's there's a saying that I heard long ago, when you see someone being successful and you have your own competitive envy triggered, you can just go into the state of like, I'm voting for their victory. Like I'm voting for your victory. Like, you know, I've been wanting to get my own podcast going, but I've had other things and yours started yours before I started mine. My wish for you is just like I'm voting for your victory. I'm hoping, thank you know, you. wanting this podcast to to blow up because you have a really powerful and unique voice to share with the world. And um, so, yeah, thank you. Being able to move past, yeah, move past that, all of these old programs. Yeah, and it shows up everywhere in the world, and the world's demanding this of men now, not only around this idea of of being competitive, but of but around evolving. I mean, the planet is dying, is on fire, is melting, you know, all these things. And as the gender balance, power balance is shifting and men are kind of a little bit lost in in how to navigate through this, they're being called to a higher level of consciousness. And um,
1: it has to be done. It is being done. And so, yeah. I think, you know, particularly as... You know, those status symbols, the car, the success, the, all of that, like evolutionarily speaking, the more status we had, the more reproductive opportunities we had. And that's not really the case anymore. I mean, as women, especially, are able to take care of themselves, they're able to, as you said, those old mechanisms, they don't, you know, my partner Sylvie, she is, I'm just going to say it, man, she's one of the most beautiful women that I've ever laid eyes on physically, externally. She's gorgeous. Now, the thing is, I was never really attracted to that kind of gorgeous level woman because I was. I'm much more attracted to energy, what's in some, what's in someone's heart, all of that, and mm-hmm. naturally, I'm attracted to her physically. But the the reason I'm sharing this is she went on a lot of dates. She met a lot of men, and you know, lived in Los Angeles. So many men were trying to impress her with their status, the money they made, the accomplishments they'd done, and she just. Couldn't stand it. She just couldn't. It just bored her to tears over and over and over. And I think you know that is a paradigm. That is, as you said, a mechanism that is shifting. And us, us men, leading with our status, leading with mm. our comp. It doesn't fucking matter anymore. I mean, it's it's a vestigial organ <laughs> that we don't need anymore, and certainly not in the same way. And and I think. You know, I look, again, my experience with Sylvia and our relationship and her, you know, are, are the love that's unfolded between us and what she was attracted to in me. It was never my accomplishments. It was just how I showed up on her first date. And
0: Yeah, as you're speaking, what, what I'm thinking of is what we're doing in this work, in men's work, is we are blowing up, you know, we're setting these charges, like in a building, we're blowing up the foundations of all of the constructs of these like fixed ideas of how a man's supposed to be, what masculinity is. Mm-hmm. Um, we're completely just obliterating that and sort of rebuilding it. Men are relearning what, what is masculinity? What is it to be a man? That's right. All of those constructs are, look, I watched a YouTube video the other day from, I was just, you know, doing some research and some guy who's got a little bit of a following and from some of the people that I saw he was in association with, I thought, oh, this guy is pretty solid. And I went and watched one of his YouTube videos, and the YouTube video was about something like how to be a man, how to be masculine. And the list of things he had on there was like, here's what you need to do to be masculine. You need to lift weights. Mm. If you want to be masculine, you got to lift weights.
1: And this was a serious thing.
0: Yeah, he was totally serious. Yeah. If you want to be masculine, you have to talk louder. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, Really? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like you're putting yourself out there as a, like, I don't want to just bag on the guy, but I'm yeah. pointing to the total confusion. And even yeah. for men who are teachers or guides or coaches out there, there's still the massive amount of confusion yeah. around what is a man? What yeah. is masculinity? And I mean, the first thing I would say is there is no fucking definition. There is no box. Mm-hmm there is no definition of that now we can frame it in a different way we can say what is it to be a healthy man what is it to be a a conscious man or, or a man who's creating more peace on the planet like we can frame it in different ways but to just say how to be a man or how to be masculine you have to understand sort of what it is to not be like what, what are the, or we should say the negative connotations, I guess the term they use is toxic masculinity. I don't, I don't necessarily like to use that term myself.
1: Yeah. I think what I hear you pointing at and, and to what I've always revolted against is those prescriptive. All about prescriptions. T- yeah. t- t- tick boxes. Like you got to tick this box off, you know, speak louder because that's what men do. Or, I mean, I had a girlfriend once who, you know, said a, a man walks on the street side of the sidewalk of a woman. A man pays for everything. A man takes her car and gets the oil change and all that. And I was, look, I've had an evolution and understanding, but I remember at the time thinking, fuck that. I mean, a man does what a man does, to quote Forrest Gump, kind of, sort of. You know, a man is what a man does. And, um, you know, I've that whole man walks on the street side of the sidewalk thing, for example. I actually do now walk on the street side of the sidewalk, but not because that's what a man does, but rather because I've... Connected with that part of me that feels like it's a gift I can give my partner mm-hmm. to walk yeah. on the streets. It's a gift I can give her. It's not something that a man just has to do. Yeah. And I think that's in our work. What's so challenging is, you know, you and I over the years, we've, as we've talked about, well, how do we bring men to this work? And one of the things, and, and this, the, the next question I wanted to ask you. And I'll ask it in just a second, but I want to just acknowledge one of the challenges that I think I certainly know I've had and and you and I've talked about it is men, we generally just want to know, tell me how to get laid or make more money. Mm -hmm. And the irony is that the work that we're doing will help you have more sex and make more money, but not if that's the only reason you're doing it. Like that's a consequence of the work, not the intent purpose of doing men's personal growth work. And so I I just want to ask you though, what's the biggest kind of challenge? What's been most challenging for you working with men? You you shared what the best part about it is, those moments of liberation, but what's been the most challenging for you?
0: I think it's um, helping men to break down their fixed idea of how a man is supposed to be, fixed gender roles. I mean, the hardest part In the work, I would say, is helping men to remove their armoring so that they can come out of, I know, I already know this, or to just be able to feel themselves, to take down the armoring so that they can touch into those wounds. Every, Every human being, our conditioning, our wounding, our traumas, to come to a place where they're open enough to move out of whatever protection mechanisms they have to keep them from looking bad, from looking weak, from looking wrong. And to just move into a feeling state and into self-compassion, self-loving, self-forgiveness.
1: So that's the hardest part. Yeah. Well, which makes sense why it's also then your most rewarding part. As yeah. you said, the challenging part is, is the armor and seeing the armor and, and working with that. And then the most The best part is when it finally, in a moment, melts and you see the relaxation and the the liberation.
0: Yeah. And the reason I love the work I do is because in the style that I do it, there's such an emphasis on embodiment, meaning having a moment of feeling inside of yourself, having a conscious awareness of being in your body and being able to feel and having a conscious awareness of feeling... And to give them an an embodied experience of themselves, having that that moment of intimacy and feeling themselves is so freeing and so liberating. Mm -hmm. As I said earlier on, like what what do most men come into the work say that they want more than anything? I would say that that is they just want to be able to show up authentically. They want to be confident, they want to have confidence. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even guys who are highly successful who are wealthy, that little boy is still generally screaming inside of them. Yeah. And they're pretty much run by their boy psychology. And so the kind of embodiment work that I do gives them a respite from all the mind fuck that they're always in. Mm-hmm. Right. Which includes, you know, all the overanalyzation of how they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to show up, how they how they think they're being viewed. And so having the freedom of the armor being released, feeling their own body, feeling themselves. And then when you show up in a relationship that way, it's pretty powerful, yeah. especially for men that are in a relationship where you know when they're in a relationship with a woman that is also on the path and they can really see in their partner you know, that they're making that effort on themselves. It's really a turn on.
1: You mean for the woman to see that a yeah. man is yeah. doing his work, whatever that looks like for him. Yeah. What do you think men are most challenged by in intimate relationship?
0: Hmm.
1: I mean, it's just going to go back
0: to the same thing over and over, and that is feeling. Mm -hmm. Feeling themselves in the moment, what's going on for them, and then being able to be with their partners as they're feeling. Taking responsibility for their own upset, and also having the capacity to see when they're in closure. I mean, isn't that the hardest thing? It's having the capacity to see... I'm really freaking yeah. shut down. Yeah. I'm really closed. I'm really collapsed right now. Yeah. And so you have that awareness, but then now what do you do after you have that awareness? Yeah. Now, if you don't have practices set in place, if you don't have a foundation of practice, then it still just goes back to your mind trying to figure out, okay, what do I do now? Okay, I right. see that I'm angry. I see that I'm shut down. But if you don't have practices, what do you do? And right. so I know in our emails before one of the questions you were going to, ask what's the early challenge that I had. I spoke about my birth, but if I fast forward, uh, that would have been my divorce. And thinking back to my first marriage, you know, 20 something years ago, I had no clue. I was completely running off of scripts. I was completely running off of wounding. And anytime that any upset would happen if she would get upset about something, I had zero capacity to be with that. Mm. I would immediately feel blamed. I would immediately feel like I did something wrong. And then rather than feel that shame, be with that, I rebelled against that and I went into non-responsibility. I went into blaming and shaming her. And of course, we know that doesn't go anywhere. And then you're just in this poisonous loop. And so that went on for many, many, many years. I was in this marriage. And so when I finally embarked on a serious path of personal growth through men's work and i had that awareness like wow i've been in this horrible loop this whole my whole life what a liberation
1: mm-hmm. at
0: least for a moment what a liberation and now you know now the relationship that i'm in now you know 20 something years later is wow what a difference yeah.
1: it is yeah yeah Beautiful, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, I want to just finish with this last question and then we'll move on to the five key takeaways finale. And the question is this. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing men today and what wisdom could you offer in the face of it?
0: I think it is um, the intensity right now of going through this really wobbly, wonky time as as I mentioned to the gender power balance shift. You know, we're more, where women are more in power and through the Me Too movement, men don't know how to act. They don't know what is you know, how to relate to women in public. They don't know, should I say a compliment? Should I not say a compliment? Uh, Should I approach this woman? Should I ask her out? I think this is a really extremely challenging time. And I think it's great. It's to be uncomfortable right now is really, really good because when we start questioning things and when we go through this kind of discomfort around, as we move through this this time, it forces men to be self-aware and to look at themselves. And it's relearning and re-understanding what is masculinity? What does that even mean? How am I acting? How am I showing up? And men are being challenged. Men are being called to task by women. I mean, if we look at the divorce rates initiated by men or women, women are initiating divorce rates at a much higher level now than they used to. And so we have some men who are fighting against that, right? And you have kind of like the we might say like the men's rights movement, the alt right, the right, you know that whole sure, segment.
1: Sure, sure, sure. The, the kind of highlighting the the victimization of men, and there are some legit points there, but a lot there's of it is just
0: a little bit.
1: A little, lo- there's a little bit, but there's a lot yes. of it's just again victim mentality, more victim mentality.
0: Right, and so
1: with men no, with show- no with no ownership. Yeah.
0: So I think, I mean, I think this this is it. I mean, if you look at the work of, of Dr. Jack Myers, who wrote The Future of Men, he says the Gen Z kids right now are in a huge challenging time. If you look at, you know, they're raised in, in a era of all, um, you know, internet, and they're raised in social media. They didn't have a time before like we did where there was no social media. And where we didn't have all these messages that are happening. And so there's a lot of confusion for men and how to be in the world. And without training and without us doing this kind of work, men are just kind of lost at sea with trying to figure it out on our own and making the same mistakes. And so what wisdom that I could offer is don't be afraid to work on yourself. I mean, that's really it. Yeah. You have to gather within yourself the courage to move beyond whatever constructs, whatever condition you have around. It means something about you if you do personal growth work. Yeah. It somehow means you're weak or you're less or that you're not perfect or that you're not a man. And so reach out for guidance and support. Join a men's group. Come work with me. Come work with Brian. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Get support. Get help. We're not supposed to do this alone anyway. We never were.
0: We it's never- no fun.
1: It's no damn fun. It's not even fun. That's right. <laughs> I mean, absolutely, man. Well, that's awesome, Z. Thank you. We're going to wrap up with the five key takeaways finale. Let's rock these out. Number one key insight, what's the one key insight? And you've offered a lot of insight already, but again, just trying to distill this and maybe you've already given it and you can restate it here, but what's the one key insight that you would offer our listeners Hmm. that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? I would
0: say it is um, embrace your shadow. And I know that's a longer conversation. Embrace your demons so that those parts of yourself that, that you've not really explored yet. Those parts of yourself that keep you acting in habitual, unhealthy tendencies, habits, and patterns. Those is what we might call those shadows that kind of have an effect on how we're reactive in the world. And so befriend your demons. And through doing that, you be more compassionate with yourself.
1: Yeah. I like to say, have you hugged your demon today? That's it, man. And that's where also working with a coach, a therapist, somebody to help you who's competent, who's not going to just bypass that.
0: Men's group is the most potent container where you get powerful, raw, honest, critical feedback from other men that are doing the same. It's not anyone preaching to you where you're with other men. And look, whatever kind of flavor of men's group that may be for you, something that has, uses less spiritual lingo or something that uses more spiritual lingo, whatever that is, but being with other men and with a skillful facilitator, yeah. uh, there's nothing more powerful. It's the single yeah. most powerful thing that I've done.
1: Yep. Yep. And I myself continue to go to my own men's group every week. And it, it, is, a, such a, it is such an important part of my ongoing practice. Serves everything, my relationship, including and especially my relationship to my partner. So excellent, man. Uh, number two, key mentor, Hmm. name another man that you've been inspired by living or dead that you recommend those listening to learn more about. Okay.
0: I'm going to break the rules. I'm going to say two. Okay. And one of them's a man. One of them's a woman. That's fine. So I would say, um, my key teacher is my Buddhist teacher, Pamukhanjo Rinpoche. I've been with her for, for 20 years and she's a She's a living embodiment of a compassionate being that also has, you know, fierceness to her. And that has been, you know, being challenged by her over the past 20 years in regards to my own tendencies and habits has been, I mean, it's changed me more than anything. And then the other key teacher for me is David Data. You know, the work that I've done with David, I you know, recommend him for any man. Reading his books is one thing, but, you know, being able to work one-on-one with him has been... Uh, It's totally transformed, totally transformed who I am.
1: And also just a reminder to listeners, all of this will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash men this way podcast. You know, if you're driving, you don't have to write any of this down. We're going to put it all there in the show notes. So Brian Reeves, remember it's Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash men this way podcast. Cool. Number three, key resource, your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year.
0: Yeah, I would say that that would be um, Robert Master's book, To Be a Man. Cool. To Be a Man. Yeah. How old is that book? Probably three years, two or three years old. So it's new. Okay. Robert is a, you know, he's a little bit of a controversial figure. Well, then so is David Data as well. But the book is clear. He's brilliant. He's a genius. And it's been really powerful, really helpful.
1: Awesome. Okay. Again, that'll be in the show notes. Let's keep going. Key investment. In the last year, what's the best thing that you spent money on? And I want to acknowledge, I keep it to under $10,000. And one of my listeners said that he couldn't relate to that. And I thought, well, look, I don't want to just copy Tim Ferriss, who does under 100 bucks. But I also want this to be a little aspirational sometimes. I mean, sometimes you got to put your ass on the line a little bit to up-level your life. And so for now, I'm going to keep it to under $10,000. Sure. uh, Because I believe under that, that any man that is committed to anything Hmm. that he really cares about, that is an achievable sum.
0: Yeah. So. Um, I would say it was going on retreat, spending the money going on retreat with my teachers. mm Mm-hmm. You know, I try as much as I can to go work with David. Mm. Um, it's a sizable investment. And then also, you know, going and being with my other teachers. So I did two back to back retreats mm-hmm. in the past year. And um well, there's no better investment. Yeah. Yep. There's no better investment than going nah. Yeah. That, that's that that's
1: it. It's an experience going
0: on retreat and having a master hold a, a space for you to do Deep transformational work, inner work, spiritual work, and uh, it's the only thing that keeps me sane. If you don't have those recharges, man, if you don't have those recharges, and if you don't have someone who's able to hold that powerful space for you and get that kind of reflection back and do practices, you know, you're kind of left to your own devices. Which most of us know, we stay in our in our own habits. So you got to go do work with someone.
1: Finally, yeah, key practice. Please offer one consistent practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational, Hmm. that has served you well and that you challenge our listeners to take on for just the next seven days.
0: You know, I think there's all kinds of um, practices, stretching practices we can do in terms of, you know, being compassionate with other people or sharing love or donating. But I think before you can do any of those, you have to work on the foundational piece, which is your own state of learning to stabilize your own state of mind. And so there's no better practice than doing some form of breath practice as a way to strengthen your nervous systems, to expand your capacity to be with the intensity of life.
1: Is there a quick one you can recommend or or place? Yeah,
0: you can go to my website and um, you can go to my toolbox. And there's one called the Tantric Breathwork Meditation. Great. It's a breath practice that has been my foundational breath practice for 20 years, which has saved my life countless times. I've used when I'm in upset with my with my wife, when I'm uh, when upset with life, when I'm feeling fear, when I'm feeling anything. This is my foundational practice. It's what I do every single morning. And I'll even give them the, a code so they can get it for free.
1: Oh, great. Okay. I think it's like, 12
0: bucks or something on my site, but I'll give you a, okay. a complimentary code. We'll use the code B-R-Y-A-N.
1: I like it. That's a good code. It's spelled with a Y. Everybody listening. B-R-Y-A-N. And what's the link? It's Z a t
0: b a r a k a Z-A-T-B-A-R-A-K-A.com. And then you'll click on Toolbox. Cool. And in there, you'll see the breathwork meditation. If you can't do anything else in your life, do this breath practice. It does increase your just your state of mind, the stability of your mind, it can help you digest tensions and fear and stuff in your body. I mean,
1: Fantastic. we know
0: this. Yeah, we know that breathing is the most important thing right now in our I modern. Mean,
1: yeah. Even when, you know, working with couples, one of the most, in, in, in my own couple, of course, one of the most powerful things that I can do and that I when I'm working with couples is um, first, as you said, noticing like when I'm having a fight with my, when, when she and I are, are devolving into a disagreement and I notice I'm holding my breath. just taking a deep breath can immediately begin to shift where this is going. Yeah. So your breath is your gateway to
0: it's your gateway to love. It's the doorway to love is, is your breath is. And if you, if you can master breath or if you can enter on the path to mastering breath, then then you can master love. I mean, look, what do we do in the work when we're the foundational work and men's work of of, learning how to be highly present beings we do breath. Yeah. And so you hear this a million times, you hear it over and over and over, but because it's true, if you can master breath.
1: Yeah. Well, beautiful man. Well, you've, you've already shared where listeners can learn more about you at zatbaraka.com. And again, that will be in the show notes as well as use the code, Brian, Brian with a Y, use that code at zatbaraka.com and his toolbox to get that breathing practice for free. Thank you so much for that. I just came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect, man. I love that. Thank you. Any final words, Zot? Final
0: words. Well, you know, there's so many more men rising up to the task of doing men's work, of evolving the planet through doing their own inner work. It's what the world requires, and it requires men to teach men this. That's right. It's a different dynamic than when a woman enters the space, and so... I've been wanting to do this for years and I'm finally doing it. So I'm training men and how to be men's coaching and it's a comprehensive, deep inner work journey. So I'm teaching men how to do men's coaching and lead men's groups and lead men's workshops, but it's a men's coach training. And so that is happening. And so I invite you to come to the site and check that out. There's going to be a powerful group of men that are embarking on this journey together. Same
1: website same on your website, Zat
0: yeah. yeah. Go to Zat That's the easiest place. Okay. and We'll see it there.
1: Brother Zod, thank you so much, man. It's been an honor to have this conversation with you.
0: Yeah, great success on your podcast. Thanks.
1: Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to my friend Zot Baraka. Find Zot at ZotBaraka.com. Z-A-T-B-A-R-A-K-A.com. And don't forget to click on Toolbox and use code Brian, B-R-Y-A-N. And of course, that link and all resources mentioned in the show as well as Zot's five key takeaways will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash mend this way podcast if you can think of anyone who might be served by what you've just heard please share this episode with them now and if you've been listening to these conversations and you've been served please take a quick moment to open your podcast app and give this podcast a five-star rating and a few kind words It's free, and in doing so, you can help guide more men this way. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.